0: There's the lunch bell. I sit slumped next to Poppy as kids pour out of the cafeteria and into the schoolyard, like milk out of the spout of one of those tiny cartons they all had a moment ago. God, I hate those things. You can smell the chocolate milk clinging to the spout before it reaches your mouth. Well, most likely chocolate, unless you're a psychopath. Anyway, it's recess time. Sixth grade was so different. It was her last year in elementary school, and Poppy was dreading the end of it. Every night she told me how scared she was, how she felt like the other girls were leaving her behind. Poppy saw the clicky girls run across the playground together, snickering at her expense. Poppy told me she didn't know why they were all in such a hurry to stop being kids. They stopped playing. Why does anyone ever stop playing? I don't know, kid. Then I hear them start. Oh my God, I know. She's so weird. Look at her over there twirling around, singing songs. What a joke. That's Aspen, the leader. I know. What a baby. Chimes in Ava, her devoted little lackey. Oh, Ava. Remember when you used to bury yourself in the quilts on Poppy's bed while she taped tissues all around you to make it look like you were sailing in the whipped cream sea? I remember. Look, she has that stupid little bunny with her. What's his name? Ava adds, knowing the answer to her own question. Buttons, Aspen says, smiling a wicked smile. Hey girls, let's go play. I try telling Poppy to run, but she doesn't hear me. She's too busy collecting flowers and turning cartwheels. Sweet kid. Poppy! Aspen yells across the playground. "'What's your fake little friend doing today? "'Clapping while you do tricks like a trained dog? "'Are you a dog, Poppy?' "'The girls behind her smile and begin to bark. "'No,' Poppy says. "'Button's is just taking a nap and I'm... "'I I don't know. I'm playing. "'It's recess. That's what we're supposed to do.' "'Ava steps in right where her mistress left off. "'Oh, that's adorable!' Did you hear the widow baby? She's playing. You want to play, puppy puppy? Just leave me alone. I wasn't bothering anyone. Aspen takes the lead again. Come on, puppy. We want to play. Oh, man, this is going to be ugly. Let us play with your widow friend. And that's all I hear before an ear-splitting shriek takes over the airspace and a lone button rolled to the floor. Guess he's just button, now, Ava spat. (coughs) No! Poppy sobbed as the recess bell rang and everyone rushes to get in line. He's my only friend. Now Poppy was alone in the distance, a single button left in her hand. After school, I sat slumped in a chair in the corner of the music room. Choir would begin in 15 minutes, and the girls were planning their next assault. They were in the classroom early, claiming they were going to help the teacher pass out music. Okay, Button, come alive for us, Ava said, and the girls laughed in a way that was both joyless and self-congratulating all at once. Hey, Aspen said walking towards the chair with the teacher's scissors in her hand. What do you say we make a little bunfetti? The girls laughed. Hey, wait, Aspen, I I think that might be too much. Another lackey said, oh, shut up, Aspen came back. It's not like this dumb thing is actually real. Are you button? Well, Aspen, it's funny you should say that. I reply while sitting up in my chair and straightening my neck, my one remaining button eye glowing in the fluorescent lights as I reveal a plush mouth filled with razor-sharp teeth. Because I am real. The girls have turned the color of the chalk dust that clings to the corners of the carpet. Mm. What? Eva manages to whimper as I get to my feet and walk over to them slowly, one beanbag paw at a time. As I walk, I stretch my back and flex the spikes that grow along my spine in a neat row. I shook my front paws and release the three-inch claws I normally keep retracted. That's right. I'm real. Isn't it obvious? Yes. It's as plain as the nose on your face. And with that, I leapt on Aspen's face, sinking my teeth into her perfect little nose. As she screamed, I crawled over onto her back and used my claws to cut off three huge chunks of her white blonde hair. Not so pretty now, are you? The nameless girl rabble Aspen demanded follow her around Had gathered by the windows. What's the matter, girls? Don't you want to play? I asked, throwing the little paper cups filled with dirt and seeds that lined the windowsills into their faces. And then I spot Ava trying to hide in the corner, a warm wet spot forming on the leg of her white jeans. Oh, Ava, I think you had a little accident. Better clean it up, I yell while leaping on her and stuffing the world's least absorbent brown paper towels into her mouth one after another after another until her lips threatened to split. Ava drooled as she tried to scream through the wadded paper. Her eyes were beginning to bulge. I could hear the class approaching, and so I knew I had to finish up quick. I peered straight into her watering eyes with my one remaining button and said, I remember you, Ava. I know who you really are. You wet the bed until you were nine. Puppy sang the entire time you got your ears pierced because you thought it might make you deaf. She was your friend when you had no friends. But I'm not your friend. I'm your worst fucking nightmare. And if you don't want to see me every time you close your eyes, you're going to tell Poppy you're sorry and pray to whatever God will have you that she's feeling forgiving. With that, I could hear the classroom door open, and I went limp just like Toy Story taught me. And then, the laughter began. (laughs) Aspen sat on the floor half bald, nose swollen and purple, clutching fistfuls of her own hair and shrieking about how...
1: He did
0: it! Ava's mouth was bulging like a bullfrog, her pants covered in rapidly cooling urine. The rest of the girls wiped the dirt from their filthy faces, crying about the bunny! The bunny! Mouths agape. The class roared with laughter at the spectacle. Buttons! Poppy shouted and ran to me, lifting me up and hugging me to her chest. I listened to her little heartbeat, knowing that today was her independence day. And smiled I'm Holly I'm Leslie and we would be dead <laughs> Writing that,
1: oh, gosh, i I just had Brian, <laughs> my imaginary friend Brian. <laughs> Come on, Brian, let's get out of here. That was just like a dude that I played games
0: with. <laughs> Why can't you be buttons? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I like. I hope Brian makes an appearance like every week now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it sucks because Brian wasn't a real imaginary friend. Like that's right. He was just a guy. Yeah, and so this story. Upsets me because I would have been the girl in the classroom, just kind of like, like fucking imaginary friends actually do exist. And leave her alone. Maybe her bunny does come to life. Yeah. And then I'm just like, and I'm over here being like a like a jackass with my fake imaginary friend.
0: (laughs) I swear. I swear I have one, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) If anybody's
1: confused, last week I talked about my imaginary friend and how we really liked it, it. Yeah. And how uh I had an imaginary friend or friends, but I would make, I made up that I had an imaginary friend because I thought that people actually had imaginary that friends. But they came to
0: you like a unicorn in a meadow. Yeah. I thought
1: every kid got one and I didn't. So you I just made up Yeah.
0: <laughs> and yours was sad. It was not like a puffy, like this one is like a stuffed bunny. <laughs> Mine was a, an invisible like anthropomorphic kitten that I named Snowball. And yours was like a little boy named Brian.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we played baseball together. He didn't care that I was a girl wanting to play boy sports. Listen, just make him orange or something, and then we're good. I can do that. Okay. We hit the spray tan too hard that week. All
0: right, you just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey Leslie. Hey Holly. Hey Beans. We have a fun episode tonight. Yay! Yay. A little over a year ago, we did a live, well, live on the internet, campfire event where we told real-life stories that we found kind of paralleled some of the events in the Goosebumps novels, and I think it was one of our most fun recordings to date. Yeah. One of our most fun lives. We had so much fun. The people who tuned in, like, we were all having such a great time. Mm -hmm. I just remember that night was, like, awesome. We had so much fun. (laughs) So we decided to bring these stories and all of that fun to everyone this week. Uh, I think we all needed, like, a little breather after our intense two-parter on Kurt Cobain. For sure. Like, I, we all seem to have had an intense time with yeah. that one.
1: And it's still, like, slowly coming in. It people is. People listening and talking
0: about it. I mean, it definitely is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really happy we did it, though. Mm-hmm. It, at first, I was kind of dreading it, but now, now I'm happy it happened. And um, let me also say a heartfelt thank you to everyone who reached out after they listened to tell us what it meant to you guys, especially anybody who disclosed their own trauma or the way that they had been impacted by suicide in their life. We love you fiends, and I'm so happy we have created a community who is open and accepting and supports one another unconditionally. So thank you for loving to learn and loving each other and always being open for discussion. Thank you. Yeah. You guys are seriously the best. And, um, boy, after all that validation. Validation. There it is. I bet their skin is looking gorgeous right now. I bet. Like baby fresh. Oh, I can see it shining from here. I can too. I mean, Fiends, you look great. Like, Mm. they don't age a day, do they? Seriously. Mm, Gorgeous. Oh, man. Me, on the other hand, Oh, I know. (laughs) Thanks, Leslie. (laughs) I'm just withering away like a forgotten apple on the top shelf of a locker. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) Every week I turn it on myself, and I'm like, Leslie's still a beautiful goddess, and she just agrees with me. I'm starting to shrivel up. I need something. (laughs) I need validation. (laughs) There it is. Perhaps we might gain just like a drop of, what is it? Validation. I want like chimes after that or something. John, can we have like chimes? The more you know. Yeah, that like, <laughs> like when you're a little kid and you read the books on tape and you turned the page oh, and there was yeah. the chime. Boy, I'm old, right? Nobody no. probably remembers that one. <laughs> they cool. still do that. They do? Yes. Okay. Well, that chime sound. I want that after validation. <laughs> anyway, validation is the fountain of youth that no one but us has discovered. Yes. Leslie and I are 600 years old and you can't tell, can you? Mm. Want to know how to help us stay this way? Simply head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Or Spotify. You can do it there, too. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews are what get podcasts into algorithms, which are mystical wizards that live on clouds inside your phone and listen when you're talking about needing drain cleaner and wanting to run away to an island. It's true. We need those guys to like us. Yeah. We really do. And women. Yeah, and lady wizards. Yeah. And neither wizards. Yeah, you lady wizards out there. (laughs) Listen. Lady wizards, non-binary wizards, every kind of wizard. I need algorithm wizard specifically. I need you to like us. Algie. Come on, Algie. There you go. Now he has a name. We are off the rails this week. God damn it, Leslie. John, please take all of this out. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it in. For validation, <laughs> And if you want more We Would Be Dead in your life, you can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you'll get access to a ton of extra content, including our weekly video after show, Host Mortem, a little gift from us. Who doesn't love mail? Mail is amazing. Makes me feel so special.
1: Psychopaths.
0: Psychopaths don't love mail. You're right. Because like, what could they be getting? They don't want anyone to know where they live. There you go. You know what? I take that mm-hmm. back. Even
1: they love mail. You're probably right.
0: That was great. You'll also get special merchandise offers and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And don't forget that we do also have merchandise! It's super cute, and there is a link to purchase some on our website and all of our socials. Uh, and if all of that is simply too much, you can engage with us via social media, toss us a like or a comment. Share when you're listening, post about your favorite episode, share any of our content, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell a strange man in the park holding a 17th century spyglass and glancing menacingly at groups of local youths. What's his name? Bernard. Bernard. Oh, man. Then your friends and Bernard. Who he tells the children to call him Bernie. But we don't want to. No. No, we don't like him. But I mean... He can also become a fiend, and then we can all hang out together. He's probably got some stories. Yeah. I'd listen to him. Well, that's all I have for this week, (laughs) Leslie. Do you have anything else to add before we begin? No. No? Nope. All right, then, on with the show. So tonight we're talking about Goosebumps books. Ooh, I got goosebumps right now. Ooh! My daughter got really into them last year, and we read a whole bunch of them together. And as a child, I just missed them. Did you? Were your like friends? Did you guys read Goosebumps? No, books? they yeah they they read the Goosebumps books. You did not. I
1: did not. No. Okay, but but we had them in our home. Okay, I just didn't
0: read them. Okay, I watched the show. Oh, all right, there you go. Um, The books are really fun, actually, and I'm having a lot of fun discovering them as an adult. All the kids in them are, like, kind of mean in a way that 90s kids will find very relatable. Yes, Uh (laughs) Mean in, like, a more realistic way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, I also love that they all kind of have a happy ending, but, like, not entirely. Mm -hmm. It's like, it all went so well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know this book series gave a lot of spooky people their start. For me personally, it was the Saturday night Nickelodeon snick, if you Mm -hmm. will, show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Oh my God, that little ghost boy who just repeats, I'm cold. Oh, I hate that.
1: Oh, I just remember you doing that last time. (sighs) I know.
0: uh, That one, it's that cadence, too. That's exactly how he says it. Don't do it again. I'm cold. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It gave me nightmares for weeks. Is that the episode Ryan Gosling's in, too? Oh. He's in one of the Are You Afraid of the Darks. I can't remember. But anyway, that, that one really just stuck with me. And I was also inducted into the Spooky Souls Club with the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book series by Alvin Schwartz, which I have also researched and have some true stories that correlate with those. So you guys should keep your eyes open for um, maybe some videos with those in them. Mm. Oh, and the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark movie was pretty fun guys check that one out if you want what kind of spooky things like were your introduction into the world of spookiness um i know you were a little more trepidatious you didn't really like them well i guess the first one
1: would have been fantasia and that was oh that's a good one terrifying the disney
0: movie yeah like the scary part where they do like all the the little ghosties and the the brooms is the scary part to you that was terrifying not the big demon on the mountaintop
1: I don't even remember that. I'm stuck with the brooms, you guys. It was so scared. The music with the music going and yeah. like Mickey couldn't get control of anything. It. The Sorcerer's same-
0: Apprentice is the one that scared you. That's yeah.
1: It's the same reason that Alice in Wonderland scared me. Not scared me. Alice in Wonderland is scary. Yeah, that's fine. But it's also just because everything's going wrong, and I just want them to like chill out. <laughs> <laughs> take a hot second
0: guys this is chaos calm down that's, that's so leslie's nightmare good mine is like a little ghost boy that's freezing to death yeah that one's
1: scary um you're so practical little, little monsters like the fred savage movie yeah okay. and um beetlejuice probably all right
0: Beetle- well beetlejuice had like some kind of scary moments. that, w- for that kid was scary
1: it. for me but like i could watch it because it was like fun but Scary. Yeah, I also being little, like when people are yelling, yeah. it just it, that just seemed scary to okay, me. Okay, fair enough. I don't know. And then I was five when my brother made me watch a uh, pet cemetery. So
0: that's that was not by choice. That mm. happened to you. It did. It sure did. Purple. So I I stayed away from it for a while. Oh no, I know. I have. You don't really like being scared. And then I was like, Hey, why don't you be scared all the time? <laughs>
1: <You> <laughs> I, I don't soul. know why I'm here. I don't know why I show up every week. <laughs>
0: Well, tonight we're taking inspiration from some classic Goosebumps books to tell you the real-life stories that closely resemble them. Now, I'm not saying these stories are based on the ones we tell tonight, because they are not. They're merely true historic stories that come pretty darn close to your favorite Goosebumps books. But before we launch into that, let's give the books and their mysterious bespectacled author a mini-exploration. Goosebumps, for the few of you that don't know, is a series of children's horror fiction novels by American author R.L. Stein published by Scholastic Publishing, which means you could get them at the Scholastic Book Fair. Yes. Yes, and that was a thrill. Oh, man. I have yet to find an event in my adult life that I look forward to as much as I looked forward to the Scholastic Book Fair every year. That's true. I can still, like, smell the books and the pencil erasers. That's so. It was so colorful. I know, and there was just shelves and shelves of brand new books, and they were all so shiny. And there was like Mm -hmm. pens and calculators and stuff. Oh, so fun! It was great, and that's actually what got Violet into children's horror books. They're they're the most interesting things there. Yeah, because like nobody just puts them in front of you in school, or like your parents don't. You discover them at the book fair or at the library. Yeah, which is where my book fair was. So Mm -hmm. there you go. They kind of feel like minorly forbidden Mm -hmm. and it was always like you got to buy I don't know if this is true with anybody else but like you got to buy those books there because you brought money to school and your parents weren't watching what you bought yeah then you're like I got a book (laughs) it's it's like (laughs) scary book Um, which is why when Violet did it I was like kind of excited because I thought like oh I totally understand the feeling you had buying this you Mm -hmm. were like oh man no one's telling me no so I can buy it (laughs) (laughs) And it's a book, so I'm allowed. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I also recently learned that you can donate to the Scholastic Book Fair at your child's school or the school of your choosing to provide books for kids who can't afford to purchase them out of pocket. Nice. I didn't know that was an option. Did you? Uh, No, I wonder if that's newer because— A lot of people said they've been doing it for years. It's like going around on, like, social media platforms now. People are talking about how either you should donate or how the book fair was traumatic for them as a child because they couldn't buy books. Right.
1: Which was always interesting. And this is obviously coming from probably more of my like privi- privileged yeah. life. But I always my parents did would give me money for the books, but I always saw it as because I wanted more books. Oh, yeah. So I always did um, like lemonade stands and stuff and just uh-huh. tried to like work my ass off to like <laughs> get money to go. <laughs>
0: That's so on brand for you. <laughs> oh, my God, I I always got like five bucks and I could get like a little thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like well, I got my one scary book or something, and I would usually like round up change from the bottom of my book bag to like kind of yeah, like flush it out or use like my milk money instead that yeah. day or something. Um, but because of that, like I remember kids would come out with stacks, and I usually got like one. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like deprived or anything. I had right. plenty of like, I was fine, but like similar to you. But like because of that too, I, oh man, I let my kids go nuts at the book fair. Mm-hmm. Books. Right. They can't come home with 18 pens and, like, a journal or something. yeah I's like, you can, book-wise, go nuts. Mm-hmm. I, I'm coming with you because I go with them after school. Okay. And then they get a little bit to, like, go with their class. But, like, when I'm there, buy, you, I let them go nuts with books. They've always been allowed to buy books, like, however many they wanted. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but you can make a donation, and I, um, I really think that's pretty awesome because then this means that every child that goes to the book fair will be able to experience that magic mm-hmm. and to get a book. Because for some people, the book fair will bring back painful memories of a time where they could not afford them or their family was going through a rough patch. And we believe that no child should go without books, so please donate if you can. The next time the book fair makes its rounds, we would be dead. We'll be making a donation to a local school with students in need. So Yay. yeah, we'll talk about which, uh, which school we want to okay. I have so many. So, I know. My kid's school is like half private, so it's pretty well set up. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. I want to explore more local schools and see where we can really be mo- the most impactful with yeah. absolutely. So, um, yeah. Also, I really want to put up a spooky little library. This is an idea I had while okay. writing because I have a focus disorder. Wouldn't that be great? Like make it look like a little haunted house and then only have spooky books in there? Mm-hmm. That's one of those ones where you have like donation books and you yeah. can leave one or take one.
1: Yeah, I really
0: want to do that. My friends do that
1: on their on um their street. They have a little yeah. We have
0: I have like a huge property. We could put like a little library, but only scary books. Yeah. Oh,
1: that would be a fun project. We
0: can make it. it. Yeah, exactly. We'll make the little box. We'll make it looks haunted. We'll put We Would Be Dead on it. Okay. Oh, so yeah, I really want to do that. If um if anybody like wants to help us make that happen or wants to donate a scary book, you can let us know, Mm. and I will take it and I will put it in there. Anyway, Goosebumps. Back to back to that. Mm. In the novels, the stories will typically follow child characters who find themselves in scary situations, usually involving monsters, the paranormal, or other supernatural elements. They usually involve a kid getting into something they shouldn't, then paying the price for a little while before triumphing over evil, and then don't forget the twist. Mm. There's always a twist at the end, which I love. From 1992 to 1997, 62 books were published under the Goosebumps umbrella. Wow. God, 62 is prolific. Yeah. Which is
1: regular Stephen King over here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Which is part of what R.L. Stein was known for. It has been said that he would knock out an entire Goosebumps book in six days. I can see that. He has a formula. There is, there's definitely a formula. And they're not super long, but still, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. The Goosebumps novels also had various spin off series, also written by R.L. Stein, like Goosebumps Series 2000, Give Yourself Goosebumps, Tales to Give You Goosebumps. Goosebumps Triple Header, Goosebumps Horrorland, Goosebumps Most Wanted, and Goosebumps Slappy World. Goosebumps has spawned a television series that ran for four seasons from 1995 to 1998. You can still find it streaming. Mm-hmm. My kids watched it. It's really fun to go back and watch it. So I recommend that one. Um, it also spawned three video games Escape from Horrorland, Attack of the Mutant, and Goosebumps Horrorland, as well as a series of feature films starring Jack Black as R.L. Stein himself. I highly recommend watching those two. They're really funny. Those are, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I didn't fully expect to like them, and I really liked them a lot. Yeah, John and I like them too. They're really fun. Oh, and there's a musical. Shut. Did you know that? The front door. Yeah, I knew that would get you. There is a Goosebumps musical out in the world, and the soundtrack was recently recorded with a host of famous Broadway voices. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out and give it a listen. It's really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was, like, really excited when I found it. I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. goosebumps and a musical. Since the release of its first novel, Welcome to Dead House, in July of 1992, the series has sold over 400 million books worldwide in 32 languages, becoming the second best-selling book series in history, just, of course, after J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter. Individual books in the series have been listed in several best-seller lists, including the New York Times for children, the New York Times bestseller list for children. <laughs> what if there was a New York Times for children? Yeah, it's just like little brainy children reading a newspaper. That is such a good idea. Isn't that cute? Why don't they
1: do that? I don't know. I wish you they- know. You and I would have done that. <laughs> yeah, Aren't, my parents would have absolutely subscribed to like the children's version, or like it came free with like the Sunday paper or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, It'll be so cute. Just like yeah. and it's like small. It's like a little newspaper. Yes. Oh, oh New York God. Times, get on it. <laughs> oh, precious. You guys, we're off the rails this week. I hope you like these episodes occasionally. (laughs) Uh, And a little bit about R.L. Stein for you while we're at it. Ronald Lawrence Stein. Yes, Ronald. See why he goes by R.L. Was born on October 8th, 1943 in Columbus, Ohio. The son of Louis Stein, a shipping clerk, and Ann Feinstein. He grew up in Bexley, Ohio. R.L. began writing at age nine when he found a typewriter in his attic. Which is the most R.L. Stein thing to ever happen. For sure. And it's also in the movies, his typewriter is like a really big deal. Yeah. It's like is what makes the stories come to life and stuff. So I thought it was really cute that that's from his actual life. Mm-hmm. I love that. Also, my kids low key think Jack Black is actually R.L. Stein. That's so funny.
1: I, I remember you said that before.
0: That's. I'm totally I, I never okay want with that it. To change. I yeah. won't argue with them. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's R.L. Stein. Look, Arl Stein is in the Jungle Book or whatever. Yeah. No, what movie was it? Jumanji. Jumanji. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. They're like it's Arl Stein. I was like, yeah, that's in who that School is. School of Rock. Mm-hmm. He's great in School of Rock. Yeah. <laughs> fun trivia: Alex Brightman, who played Beetlejuice on Broadway, also played that role in School of Rock on Broadway, and he is sings in the Goosebumps musical. Well, isn't that fun? There you go.
1: Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding.
0: I don't There's your at that. Broadway trivia. <laughs> RL also graduated from Ohio State University. Yeah, yeah. but guys. I knew you'd be excited. In 1965, with a Bachelor of Arts in English, while at OSU, RL Stein edited the OSU humor magazine, The Sundial, for three out of his four years there. He later moved to New York City to pursue his career as a writer. Mm-hmm. Stein um, actually did himself appear in the TV series. He's kind of the Stan Lee of children's horror books. He he cameos yeah. all of his own stuff. He's quoted as saying that he was inspired to create the books, the Goosebumps series by the comic book Tales from the Crypt, which I also absolutely watched as a kid when yeah. my parents were asleep. Okay. I Well,
1: that was another one I was
0: forced to watch. Oh, I watched it so on I purpose. So I watched it. It was like HBO. Yeah. It was questionable. And I definitely found it. And I, sorry, Mom, who listens every week. I definitely watched it when I was not supposed to. Right, right. But look what it did for me. There you go. That's why I'm so weird. Man, it was not for kids. No, but we didn't have as much kid stuff. Though. I think I turned out okay, though. What's a couple boobs? You're fine. Yeah, you're fine. I knew what they looked like. I'm a girl.
1: It's the only way we, we knew. That's how we
0: learned. Yes. <laughs> now that it got weird uh, and we have done our historical due diligence, let's get into the fun. Not that that wasn't fun. That was pretty fun. so fun. I chose to explore the stories in the books Say Cheese and Die and Night of the Living Dummy. Say Cheese and Die is surprisingly dark.
1: Yeah, it is. I remember that one. What did you choose today, Leslie? I did uh, Piano Lessons Mm -hmm. Can Be Murder.
0: Woo! Mm -hmm. Excellent. So this episode is a story swap. I have two and Leslie has one. And in the middle, we have a little game. (laughs) I love the game. Yeah, me too. So pull up your hoodie and get your cozy blankets out because it's time to get spooky. Let's do this. Oh, Leslie actually has a hoodie. You need to take a picture okay. of you in your hoodie. Shall I go first? Please. All right, then. Say, Chase, and Die is the story of a group of kids who break into an abandoned house and discover an old camera in the basement. But it's no ordinary camera. It takes pictures that predict horrible events that come for the subjects. Let's read the blurb, shall we, please? Quote, Greg thinks there is something wrong with the old camera he and his friends found. The photographs keep turning out wrong, very wrong. Like the snapshot Greg took of his father's new car that shows it totaled. And then Greg's father is in a nasty wreck. But Greg's friends don't believe him. Sherry even makes Greg bring the camera to her birthday party and take her picture. Only Sherry's not in the photograph when it develops. Is Sherry about to be taken out of the picture permanently? Who okay. is going to take the next fall for the evil camera? <gasps> ah! Fun. So, for this, I tried researching haunted cameras. And as it turns out, most people blame the photo or the situation and not the hardware. But since this book does also use haunted or evil photographs as well, I went with that. Ghost photography is uh, a pretty well-known phenomenon at this point. We all know what an orb looks like, and there are a lot of questionable blurry figures out there on the internet, but a lot of those are proven fakes. My favorite one is this photo that went around a few years ago, and it looks like a nice 1950s family sitting at a dining room table while there's like a body falling through the ceiling. Oh, yeah. I'll put that in our photo suite this week if I can find it. It's like a really crazy photo. I really wanted that one to be real, too, because that's what a story, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's totally faked. But after wading through the sea of doctored photographs, I found one that really hooked me, and that is the story of Chloe and the Myrtles Plantation. The Myrtles Plantation is located a few miles outside of St. Francisville, Louisiana, and is precisely what your brain conjures up when it hears the word plantation, both the beautiful and the sinister. It is a large and stately white home with a sprawling wraparound front porch. The trees are dripping with lacy Spanish moss, and the sweet smell of the myrtle blossoms drifts in on the warm wind inside there are grand staircases and crystal chandeliers priceless antiques and ornate plaster work it's all your gone with the wind dreams come true and it's a hotel now so you can stay there though i'm not sure you'll want to after you hear the rest of the story and also i recognize that gone with the wind and plantations in general are extremely problematic and I'm not sure we should be vacationing in them at all. I think they're fine now as long as they are owned. Most people do not like them, um, like glorified in wedding photos. They find that pretty insulting. Okay. So, yeah, like I don't know that we should make them these beautiful, dreamy locations that we want to be vacationing at. Right.
1: Because like, I think it's another thing to maybe just visit them.
0: I think if it's, like, a historical tour yeah. and the accurate information is given, that's very different. Right. I think that's that's more museum-like, and that's that can be mm-hmm. educational, which is great. But I think what people don't like is, like, the idea that your stay there is going to be some beautiful ideal where they were, like, a place of horrible torture for, like, tons and tons of Black mm-hmm. individuals centuries ago. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm not advertising y'all go vacation at a plantation, but... That's what it is. As you all most likely know, as our friends are informed and intelligent people, plantations were built and and ran on the backs of black slaves, and their history therein is fraught with horrifying violence, rape, backbreaking labor, severe abuse, fear, punishment, and a disregard for human life that shocked every single person who reads about it to this day. And Myrtles was no exception. In 1992, the owner of the Myrtles had taken some photos of the property for insurance purposes. The insurance company had required photographs to be taken that would show the distances between buildings to aid the underwriters in rating a fire insurance policy for the plantation. And when she had them developed, one in particular stuck out. So this photograph included the general store and the butler's pantry. So this plantation was large and had like it's like its own little town, basically and the breezeway between those buildings. So it's like a little breezeway alley type thing between two old buildings. And again, they were photographing to find the distance between these buildings for fire insurance, so this makes sense. What doesn't make sense is the shadowy figure standing in the breezeway of this photograph. When the photo was taken, there were no people present. The owner had made sure of this so that she could get the distances accurate. Can't have anybody standing in them, that interferes with measuring. But in the photograph, there is very clearly a young woman standing there, dressed in the typical clothing of a slave of that time with a turban on her head, staring off from in between the buildings. Ooh. Yeah, it's really creepy. There will be photos of this, don't worry. At first, the owner did not believe her eyes. She looked and looked and looked, trying to explain this figure with maybe like a trick of the light, or perhaps someone who worked for her that she hadn't seen creep into the photo— but no, this wasn't anyone she'd ever seen before, and she was so clearly dressed in clothing from another time. Who was this, and what were they doing in her photograph? The National Geographic Explorer filming crew determined that the photograph definitely contained what appeared to be an apparition of what they thought to be a slave girl. So National Geographic came in and explored and um, and looked at these photos because this became a very big deal. And so there's like a few online, like not online, there's a few... I I don't want to call them documentaries. There's a few, like, episodes of ghost shows on the Myrtle's plantation, and National Geographic came in and, like, explored it for one of them. Mm. So the slave girl appeared in the breezeway between the general store and the butler's pantry of the mansion. The horizontal exterior boards of the mansion were clearly visible through the body of the apparition. So it's a see-through person. National Geographic Explorer was fascinated with the picture and have gone on to use it in one of their paranormal documentaries. I guess one of them is a documentary. I think they're ghost shows. (laughs) (laughs) They also went on to suggest that a postcard should be made of the photograph, which it was, and is. You can still buy this postcard should you visit the Myrtles. Okay. Additionally, Mr. Norman Benoit, a patent researchist, visited the Myrtles plantation in May of 1995 and requested permission to research the postcard. After enlarging the postcard and doing a shadow density procedure, Mr. Benoit discovered that all of the physical measurements of the apparition were of human dimensions and proportions. The circumference of the head, the length of the shoulder to the elbow, and the length of the elbow to the wrist were all indicative of a human. But who was this human, and how did she get into the photograph? Well, a little research would show that tragic events of the past may be gone, but they are never truly forgotten just like Chloe. Mm -hmm. The Myrtles Plantation was built in 1796 by General David Bradford on 600 acres and was named Laurel Grove. General Bradford lived there alone for several years. Can you imagine living in like an enormous house like that alone? No. That doesn't even feel pleasant. But he did that for several years until President John Adams pardoned him for his role in the Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion in 1799. I think we broke to speak about the Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion when we, we did this have. live. I also would like to uh, name a band, Pennsylvania Whiskey Rebellion.
1: I <laughs> think that's yeah, that pretty sounds, good. That sounds fun. Yeah, right. It'd be like an indie band. Yeah, or yeah. Or like country, I guess.
0: No, no. if no. it's gonna be country, it's got to be cool, like bluegrassy country. Well, that's something that yeah, I would like. F- to, like like a folky. Mm-hmm. The Whiskey Rebellion, also known as the Whiskey Insurrection. Good. if you want to be modern, oh, no. <laughs> was a violent tax protest in the United States beginning beginning in 1791 and ending in 1794 during the presidency of George Washington. We get, U- so, we get so mad about taxes in this uh, country. We really do. And ultimately, under the command of uh, American Revolutionary War veteran Major James McFarlane, the so-called whiskey tax was the first tax imposed on a domestic product by the newly formed federal government— Beer was difficult to transport and spoiled more easily than rum and whiskey. Rum distillation in the United States had been disrupted during the Revolutionary War, and whiskey distribution and consumption increased after the Revolutionary War. Extracts, mm-hmm. Agri- Yeah, right. Aggregate production uh, had not surpassed rum by 1791. The whiskey tax became law in 1791 and was intended to generate revenue for the war debt incurred by the Revolutionary War. The tax applied to all distilled spirits, but consumption of American whiskey was rapidly expanding in the late 18th century, so the excise became widely known as a whiskey tax. Farmers of the western frontier were accustomed to distilling their surplus rye, barley, wheat, corn, or fermented grain mixtures to make whiskey, so they're making their own shit, and these farmers resisted the tax. In these regions, whiskey was often served as a medium of exchange, so they're bartering with whiskey as money as well. Many of the resistors were war veterans who believed that they were fighting for the principles of the American Revolution, in particular against taxation without local representation, while the federal government maintained that the taxes were the legal expression of the taxation powers. So, nobody liked the whiskey tax, and so they rebelled and had a great big fight. 13,000 militiamen provided by the governors of Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, I guess, came to fight it off. More than 500 armed men attacked the fortified homes of tax inspector General John Neville. Oh, this is a lot of people. They were not here to be have their whiskey fucked with. The rebels all went home before the arrival of the army, and there was no confrontation. Oh, so they, <laughs> they just yelled a lot? All right, great. About 20 men were arrested, but all were later acquitted or pardoned. Most distillers in nearby Kentucky were found to be all but impossible to tax. In the next six years, over 175 distillers from Kentucky were convicted of violating the tax laws, blah, blah, blah. So the Whiskey Rebellion was, like, a lot of people yelling,
1: yeah, but then
0: nothing happened.
1: Sounds about right.
0: You guys. <laughs> what the hell? All right, well, cool. apparently— <laughs> This guy, who General David Bradford, who bought Laurel Grove, which later became the Myrtles Plantation, was one of the risky rebellioners who then ran away but was pardoned by the president later. Great. He then moved uh, his wife, Elizabeth, and their five children to the plantation from Pennsylvania. So once he got pardoned, his family came to the plantation with him. That's why he was alone. Upon Bradford's death in 1808, his widow, Elizabeth, continued running the plantation until 1817 when she handed the management over to Clark Woodruff, one of Bradford's former law students who had married her daughter, Sarah Matilda. The Woodruffs had three children, Africa Gale, James, and Mary Octavia. It is documented in family records that Sarah Matilda and two of her three children died in 1823 and 1824 of yellow fever. But that isn't the truth. Mm -hmm. Clark Woodruff was an outwardly respectable man, but inwardly a typical plantation owner. He had the habit of sneaking off in the evenings to have, quote, physical relations with his female slaves, which is fucking disgusting. And let's be honest, this is a very gentle description of what was most definitely rape. Clark favored one girl in particular, a young, quote, not my words, light-skinned girl named Chloe, because yes, apparently it did matter how old they were and skin color mattered. This is all very gross. Chloe had been serving as a governess to the Woodruff children and therefore worked in the main house and not out in the fields. And this was also likely a product of her slightly lighter skin. And this is a coveted position. When Clark Woodruff began forcing himself on Chloe, she was repulsed by the situation, but she knew if she said anything to anyone, she would be beaten and whipped within an inch of her life and then sent out in the fields to labor. So she kept quiet. Mm -hmm. The situation carried on for a while. Chloe enjoyed her position in the big house with the children, where she was fed, dressed in relatively new clothes because she would have been around company and stuff, and allowed a bed to sleep in. She was never beaten or spoken to harshly, and the children treated her with affection. This was the highest position a slave at the time could hold, and it is by no means a good life, but comparatively speaking, she did have it a lot better than others. After a time, Chloe came to suspect that Clark was tiring of her company and was on the hunt for a new lover, and this terrified Chloe. If Clark replaced her with another new girl, would that girl then take her place in the home while she was sent outside to labor in the fields? Chloe began eavesdropping on the family as well as Clark and his male guests in the evenings, which was not tolerated well. One evening, Clark caught her listening to his conversations and flew into a rage. He took Chloe outside, held her down, and cut off her ear. Oh, yeah. After that night, Chloe always wore a green turban to hide her missing ear. Okay. Mm -hmm. Seeing that Clark had grown cold towards her, Chloe hatched a plan. She would create a situation where the family desperately needed her so that she could not be sent away. Around the perimeters of the house grew slender, blossoming oleander plants. Chloe knew that the liquid in the stems of the oleander was toxic. So one night, After the house had gone to bed, she gathered a few stems and kept them in her room. Chloe also knew that the next day she would be organizing the birthday party the Woodruffs were holding for their oldest daughter, and this included making a cake. Chloe thought that if she slipped a little of the poison into the birthday cake, the members of the Woodruff family would fall ill and need her to stay with them around the clock to nurse them back to health. And then once she did so, they would be very grateful to her Mm -hmm. and, you know, her situation would be secure. I like it. I like mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Good scheming. <laughs> Love it. The day arrived and Chloe carried out her plan, not knowing that she had wildly misjudged the amount of oleander liquid to put in the batter. After serving the cake, one by one, the woodruffs began to fall gravely ill. What began as intestinal distress turned quickly into seizures and vomiting blood, an illness that looks distinctly like yellow fever. Oh. Mm-hmm. When the whole ordeal was finally over, Mrs. Woodruff, Africa Gale, and Mary Octavia would be dead. While Clark Woodruff did not know what really happened to his wife and two young daughters, the other slaves sure did, they knew what Chloe had done and that she had put them all in grave danger. If her actions were discovered, all of them would suffer greatly at the hands of their master. He would assume this had been a mutiny and they would all go down in the process. So to protect themselves, they dragged Chloe out into the field and hanged her from an old oak tree. Once she was dead, they weighed her body down with rocks and dropped it into the river. Chloe was never seen again. Well, never in her earthly form. To this day, guests at the Myrtle's Bed and Breakfast will report hearing restless footsteps on their floorboards late in the night. They see the image of a young woman in a green turban behind them in the mirror or wandering through the courtyards at dusk. They will hear the bouncing of a ball and the disembodied laughter of children, but never will the source of these sounds be discovered. Chloe's tortured soul still wanders the grounds of the Myrtles, looking for a way out of her desperate situation, hoping that she'll be able to escape her terrible fate. Guests have tried for years to describe what they saw wandering those halls, but a picture is worth a thousand words. Say cheese or die, mama. That's right. Focus. Say cheese and die. <laughs> oh my Me. gosh,
1: yours so is spooky. That's
0: a spooky one, right? My yeah. other one is spooky too. They're both they're both pretty spooky. Also, turbans are something that um are pretty sad and controversial for the slavery era because a lot of slaves wore them because white people are fucking terrible and they didn't like black hair and they made them cover their uh, hair. Right? Yeah. They didn't like them to have it braided and stuff. It's like it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Turbans have their own distinctly sad history. Mm. I didn't. I don't have a lot of that, but I do know that. So, all right. So
1: I, my story that I. Okay, so the Goosebumps story is piano lessons can be murder. Sure can be. And here is like the little the blurb synopsis, little blurb. When Jerry finds a dusty old piano in the attic of his new house, his parents offer to pay for lessons. At first, taking piano lessons seems like a cool idea, but there's something creepy about Jerry's piano teacher, Dr. Shriek. (laughs) Is there (laughs) something really creepy? (sighs) Dr. Shriek. Something Jerry can't quite put his finger on. Then Jerry hears the stories, terrifying stories, about the students at Dr. Shriek's music school. Students who went in for a lesson and never came out no yes
0: Ugh. yes holly leslie huh. i also love how like bless you arlstein you've done a great job they're not super well written oh no they're <laughs> they're terrible the and they great <laughs> And the blurbs are, is so bad which is
1: why um our game leader is like I, geared towards me i
0: suffered horribly <laughs> i was like uh, well you'll we'll get to that later but anyway i was like this is how i write <laughs> It was also really funny because reading the books, I was reading that like he wrote them in six days, and part of me was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> but listen, Holly, you write a whole podcast in one day sometimes. Sometimes I do. Yeah, I mean, you do. I research it before, for like weeks, but, but you yeah. can sit there
1: and write a thirty-page.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a like a sixteen-hour day, but I can crank out all the writing in yeah. one day sometimes. You That's could true. totally
1: be a children's writer.
0: God, I gotta get my shit together. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. <sighs> Anyway, Pod- podcasting, continue.
1: So I chose to look for a story that had to do with a piano. Any true crime that had to do with a piano. Anything, get it. Piano. And I found one. Let's And hear it's it. wild. I'm excited. It was a beautiful Sunday morning in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania on December 2nd, 2012. Families headed to morning service at the First United Presbyterian Church of Cowdersport. Upon entering, members of the congregation would say a quick, quiet hellos to other members before finding a place to sit in the many rows of pews. They would save their conversations for coffee hour. Darlene Sittler had already been at the church for a while. She had gotten there early to set up her music and run through the songs before the congregation filled in. She was the church's organist, and she always enjoyed the quiet before the service began. Darlene. Even as people came, all to be heard were muffled whispers, clearing of throats, and cough drops being unwrapped. Ew. Darlene would turn around from her organ to quietly wave hello to all the familiar faces. The church doors closed, which meant it was almost time to start, and Darlene turned back towards her organ. The service couldn't start without her. The church bell struck, and it was time to begin. She began playing, and the side doors opened as the pastor and other members of the altar entered. The mass would continue as normal until about 20 minutes in when the back church doors opened and a man wearing a hooded jacket came in and shot Darlene (gasps) with a 45 caliber. Darlene! The man was recognized instantly as Gregory Eldred, Darlene's ex-husband. No! Gregory immediately ran straight to his car and placed the gun on the hood and stood there with his hands in the air for several minutes. Meanwhile, 911 was called. The pastor and his wife ran to the doors to hold them shut. Gregory started to walk back towards the doors since, I don't know why, at Um, first. yeah, He demanded to be let in. The pastor pleaded with Gregory to drop his gun, but Gregory wanted to see Darlene. He wanted to make sure she was dead. Oh, no. After a bit of a struggle, Gregory got back in and shot two more bullets into Darlene. Jesus. The first shot had sent her into the organ pit, and the next two surely killed her. It was done. He was like, all right.
0: Yeah, Darlene is done, man.
1: No one else was hurt. The police came and took Gregory into custody. Gregory and—so we'll go back a little bit, find out how these two (laughs) lovebirds— Please! (laughs) This is so sad. Gregory and Darlene married in 1988. They were musicians and teachers. Darlene graduated from Lebanon Valley College in Annville, Pennsylvania. She taught music to students in kindergarten to sixth grade. For her last 30 years, she taught at the Northern Potter School District. Gregory taught music at the elementary school in Countersport and was a clarinet player with the Southern Tier Symphony. I love Southern Tier beers. Me too. We were talking about that today. We were just talking about them. They attended the First United Presbyterian Church in Countersport together. Darlene played the organ and directed the choir. In April of 2010, Darlene filed for divorce after finding out about her husband's unhealthy obsession for adult porn.
0: Oh, no. You know, they were
1: married in 1988, and then it just must have gotten, like, real uncomfortable. I
0: don't know.
1: She just had enough.
0: She was like, porn is terrible. I have to go play the church organ.
1: Yeah, and his apparently was, like, real weird adult porn. I mean, that she like came upon. All pornography should be adult. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. Their divorce would only take four months to finalize. On November 30th, 2012, just days before Gregory would murder Darlene, the FBI appeared on Gregory's doorsteps. Oh, no. After searching the home, they found child sexual exploitation on his computer (gasps) and took it for further investigation.
0: Oh, no. Thank you for saying that like that. You're welcome. I know I had to switch it all. Yeah. That's okay. We learn. We know better. That's Mm -hmm. how we do it. Darlene was contacted about the search
1: warrant and questioned for further information. She had told friends and the police that she only knew about his adult porn addiction and was now nervous Gregory would assume she set him up to be searched. She was also horrified at the thought that he might actually be guilty of this heinous crime. She's like, I've been living with him and I had no idea. I just knew about the adult stuff. Yeah, I would lose my mind. Yeah. So she's like, I hope that they don't find something. But if the FBI yeah. is there, they yeah, yeah. clearly some on to something. Gregory was extremely embarrassed at the FBI show up at his at his house. He wondered what the neighbors might think about their presence, but started to feel a sense of relief when he believed he was in the clear and that they hadn't found anything more than his adult porn stash.
0: Why would they be there if you didn't have anything?
1: What a okay. Unfortunately, after some time, the FBI came down down his stairs and told him they found. Child exploitation material and seized his computer, discs, about 11 boxes filled with pornographic materials, and Eleven his cell phone. 11 boxes? Oh no. And as Darlene feared, Gregory immediately blamed her for squealing on <gasps> him because how else would he have gotten caught? I don't, I don't care. Right? Oh, but fuck like, that guy. He's just like, she must have squealed. Not so like what? I'm on the internet and like, and. Is being monitored, you Not know.
0: Like, I have child abuse on my computer. Yeah. Oh man. This guy's a piece of work. Yeah. Fuck you. You did something abominable. I don't care if your wife told people. Yeah. Ew, he's awful. Gregory
1: wasn't arrested right away. Um, so the FBI, that was like a Friday night, I mm-hmm. believe. The FBI planned to come back Monday morning with the proper arrest warrant. Oh, so they okay. had gotten just like a search this is and like then red found tape. it. Got it. Yeah.
0: Ugh, that's dangerous because, like, where's that guy
1: going to go? Yeah. And apparently he had, like, guns in the house and they <sighs> didn't, like, confiscate all no, of No, you have to take the guns. So instead of going straight to jail, Gregory went to bed and dropped up, up a plan to kill his snitch of an ex-wife, Darlene.
0: God, damn it, Gregory.
1: He knew that the police only had seen a small amount of incriminating material but knew... S- soon that they were going to see a whole lot more Uh and time was running out for him and his guns that he had stashed in that house Uh so he would need to act quickly and knew exactly where she would be on sunday morning he dreamt about walking straight into church during the morning service and shooting darlene three times as she sat at her organ he would then walk out put his gun on his car and then throw his hands in the air uh till the police came and got him it felt so, justified and poetic. But also,
0: he's still going to jail double time now. Yeah.
1: I think he just felt like he was done for.
0: Oh, my God. It's not even like he's not even going to get away with anything if he kills his ex-wife. He's just killing her to kill her. Yeah. And he's going to go to jail more. I hate I hate to break this to you, Whole World and Gregory, but, like, unfortunately— Child sexual exploitation material and, like, videoed abuse and things like that, they don't get you that much jail time. They should, Mm -hmm. but they don't. So he probably would have had under 10 years of jail time Mm -hmm. as opposed to murdering his wife and his ex-wife in front of a congregation of people, which is going to put him away forever, if not kill him, depending Mm -hmm. on Pennsylvania's laws.
1: I don't know where he was fully at with this, like what Mm -hmm. they thought, what he thought they were going to find and how long it would be. But I would sense that the amount of uh, things they would have come after him for, he was going to be there for a long time.
0: Okay. All right. Still. Yeah. It's still. Yeah. Stupid. So in
1: his head, he's like, well, I just want her
0: dead. Oh, I hate him so much.
1: So on December 2nd, he woke up and did just that, except he only shot her once before walking back to his car. And because the police didn't appear right away, because it's not a fucking movie, and they don't just, like, show up. Oh,
0: boy, we were waiting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He decided he had to go back and go back in and shoot her two more times just to be sure she was dead. He didn't make a big enough show. Okay, great. So the pastor and his wife were at the doors, as I said before. Um, They couldn't do much to keep him out. Uh, He fired two more shots right at Darlene, most likely killing her on the second. Several members of the congregation had then like swarmed him um, and he managed to fire off another shot, but that luckily did not hit anyone else. Police arrived within 15 minutes and escorted Gregory out of the church. The entire congregation then climbed aboard a school bus and were driven to a safe place to be questioned by a team of police officers.
0: And hopefully like, Given some therapy or something. Yeah. They just thought they just watched a murder. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned this later, but there's
1: a woman that sues him for the amount uh it cost her for therapy Good. for many years. And I think she won. She watched a woman yeah. die. Yeah. 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 On July 10th of 2013, Gregory pleaded guilty to first degree murder, and the judge sentenced him to life in prison. And because Gregory was found guilty of murder, the prosecution didn't push too much further into the investigation of the materials they seized from his home the da was not very happy about this they wanted just everything to come out yeah you know and for a couple years there was a push to find out what was in all the boxes and on the computer potter county district attorney which is near Cowdersport. um so the uh, potter county district attorney andy watson in the hopes of providing the truth and closure to this matter undertook the task of retrieving and analyzing those 11 boxes of evidence Ugh. in 2020. So this is like— Oh, wow. This just happened. Yeah. Oh, this is your update. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah, there was—all these years, all the people in the town are just like— What's on there? Yeah, and also because there had been other rumors coming out of oh, things shit. that he may have done to <gasps> children oh, no. in their town, and they were like, we we just want all of this out. We need to feel some sort of closure because yeah. this— wonderful woman in our community
0: oh, is gone Darlene. and there are a lot
1: of other people that are really hurt by this and we need we need the truth. We need yeah. to know what's going on. So this guy thought that it was really important and he went through all the material. Due to the volume of evidence and because Gregory had attempted to delete numerous files, an experienced analyst was brought in to assist with the massive task with a large amount of deleted and otherwise inaccessible data successfully retrieved. So, this is um, all of, like, the relevant evidence that they found. Okay. It's a crazy list. Okay. Approximately 594 photographs of Gregory naked within his home and outside in public areas. Ooh. Several voyeuristic photographs taken by Gregory of students, females apparently walking by his home, and members of the public. 70 cropped photographs of school aged children where a photograph of the child's head was placed on photographs of prepubescent females naked bodies and or prepubescent females engaging in sexual intercourse Ew. with an adult male. Oh, 16 cropped photographs of Gregory's co-workers heads placed on pre I can't say that right prepubescent and adult female bodies, including bodies engaging in intercourse. Ew, ew. I know. Approximately 564 photographs of prepubescent naked males and females between the ages of approximately 3 to 12 years old, (gasps) the most disturbing images the district attorney has viewed in his 22-year career, according to the press release that had come out. Um, All of these appear to be internet-based images and do not include local children, Watson said. Uh. So, yeah. So, (laughs) everyone was pissed. Yeah. um, This was also in this press release that had come out where I got a lot of this information. Uh, Consistent with the state police investigation and Gregory's own admission, the body of evidence supports that Gregory's motive for murdering Darlene was indeed his belief that Darlene had initiated an investigation into Gregory for possession of child exploitation and was working with the FBI. Well, so he thought she was like specifically working with them. I mean, good if she was, but it as we know, it wasn't Darlene at all because she hadn't said anything. It was just Gregory. Uh, it was all his fault because obviously he' was, had all of the that online activity. So the FBI caught on to it. They wanted to further investigate. They obtained the federal search warrant, and then they contacted Darlene to let her know and to see if she knew anything more.
0: Oh, my God. Algorithm wizards, they're watching you. (laughs) Yeah, you got to. For sure.
1: So Watson had hoped um, in releasing this information that it will bring some closure and answer many questions within Darlene's community who felt her loss every day. And it definitely did. A lot of the people in town were like, okay, at least we know what was going on. And apparently there were also, I was trying to find this in other articles, uh, but it was more just people in the community commenting mm-hmm. on them. But they were saying how either their child was sexually abused by <gasps> him in the school. Oh, my God. Um, and that there was one kid that had actually gone on TikTok to talk about it.
0: Oh, my and God. And so
1: that's where there was even more information and more of a push to find out, like, what what did he have? Was he somebody actually capable of this? And clearly he was. Wow, 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 wow. And so I know it doesn't super have to do with the piano, but she was at a piano. Could be murder. It could. They can. It's how it's how he knew where she was gonna be. We took we took these stories and made them
0: intense. We did. (laughs) Game break? Yeah. All right. (laughs) Okay, fiends. It's time for Two Truths and a Lie, Goosebumps edition. Yeah, Yeah. By the way, that was a great story, Leslie. I really liked it. Oh, thank you. Good job. Our absolute... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our favorite campfire night was the one where we played Two, two Truths and a lie. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> First of all, we, are, we need to do a live where we do that again yeah. ASAP. We could do that a hundred times. That could just be what we do for our lives. It was so fun. I know. Um, we should. That should definitely be, like, one of our next lives. Yeah. So, um... We each told two true but outrageous stories and then made up a third. And then all of our listeners that night and each other, we guessed which was the lie. That's the game, obviously. But it was really, really fun. Yeah. And we have talked about trying to make it a live event more than once. We also really, really want to be able to bring it to our main podcast feed, but we're not 100% sure how to do that yet. So stay tuned. Um, I'm sure we'll work it out at some point. It'll be a very Mm -hmm. choose-your-own-adventure situation. Which is a kind of podcast I also want to write. Anyway, for now, we're going to try to stump each other. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, We each have the title and back cover summary of three Goosebumps books. Two are true and one is made up. So see if you can guess along with us. (laughs) (laughs) My summaries are short, too. I don't know if I got the whole back cover. No, they are, yeah. They're just short. They're like a little blurb. Yeah. All right. You want to go first or you want me to go first? (sighs) You go first. Okay. One. Welcome to Camp Nightmare. The food isn't great at Camp Nightmoon. The counselors are a little strange. And the camp director seems demented. Mm. Billy can handle all that. But then strange things start to happen after dark. His parents won't answer his letters and his fellow campers start to disappear. What's going on? Camp Nightmoon is turning into Camp Nightmare. Oh my gosh. And Billy might be next. (gasps) (laughs) So good. (laughs) That's one. Two. Revenge of the lawn gnomes.
1: (laughs) Wait, that's the one I did. No it isn't. So that one's wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a true one. Oh no. <laughs> but read it,
1: read it anyway. I'll, I'll read pick it another way. Anyway.
0: <laughs> when Joe Burton's dad brings home two ugly lawn gnomes, <laughs> that's when the trouble starts. That sentence is terrible. <laughs> Late at night, when everyone's asleep, someone's creeping in the garden, whispering nasty things, smashing melons. <laughs> that's my favorite. Squashing tomatoes. No way two dumb old lawn ornaments could be causing all the trouble. Is there? <laughs> Wait, mine
1: starts with two pink flamingos, a whole family of plaster skunks. Joe Burton's dad loves those tacky lawn ornaments, but then he brings home two ugly lawn gnomes. And then it continues. <laughs> I don't have that part. <laughs> two pink flamingos. His dad just loves tacky shit in his yard. <laughs> awesome.
0: I love that we were both like, yeah, the lawn gnomes Yeah, win. yeah. Was, you know what's even better? We have read that book. I know. I've read the whole book. Yeah. It doesn't get better. (laughs) Or it does get better, but it's just more of that, basically. (laughs) Three, Wendell of the Woods. (gasps) Troy and Jeremy want to be the coolest kids in sixth grade, so they decide to catch a local monster everyone calls Wendell of the Woods. Rumor has it that Wendell was a kid who got lost on the sixth grade field trip to Mount Murder. I was taken in by bloodthirsty creatures who lurk in the shadows and only come out at night. Will the boys spot Wendell, or will the woods take them too? Oh my gosh.
1: Da, da, da. Okay, so obviously it's not the lawn gnomes. I'm so sad because that one is clearly like the yeah, wackiest of the bunch. Of them. Um, what was the name of the first one again? Welcome to Camp Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Camp Nightmare. And then Wendell of the Woods. Yes, I have to say them all like that.
0: Wendell of the Woods. I know. That's
1: how I was reading them at home. (laughs) So
0: glad. (laughs) This is my audition for like a radio DJ. Yeah. (laughs) Oh,
1: man. Those are two good ones. All right. Because Camp Nightmare sounds like something. (laughs) Um, Wendell of the Woods. They all make me laugh so hard. I know. I'm gonna go with that one. That's the one I made up. You did it.
0: I just really wanted to use the name (laughs) Wendell. Yeah.
1: I know. That's the other fun thing about this with like the
0: names. I know. I also wanted to use the names Troy and Jeremy, so that made me happy. (laughs) Your turn. Perfect. Did you guys get it right? I bet you did.
1: (laughs) Um. Did I'm sorry, did we say the title? Did you say the title or no?
0: I said the title, yes. You did? Okay, just make sure.
1: I found another one to say. So thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Ready, Holly? I'm so ready. A Charmed Life After Sadie bought a charm bracelet from the local antique shop, her luck seemed to change overnight. Ugh. Every day was a good hair day. She was cast as the lead in the school play. And the boy she liked asked her out. (gasps) Sadie! So, when Sadie's twin sister, Judy, uncovers the truth behind her recent string of good luck, Judy warns her that every wish has its consequence, or so she once read in a book. Mm -hmm. But as things start to fall apart around her, Sadie wonders if maybe her sister was right and fears that it may be too late to fix it all. Oh, no. Dot, dot, dot. Sadie. The horror at Camp Jelly Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Swimming, basketball, archery, King Jelly Jam Sports Camp has King it all. Jelly Jam! <laughs> Okay. Too bad Wendy isn't a total sports freak like her brother, Elliot. <laughs> but how excited can you get over a game of softball? It's just a game, right? Wrong! Because Camp Jelly Jam is no ordinary sports camp, and Wendy's about to find out why. Why the counselors seem a little too happy, a little too obsessed with winning, and why the ground is always rumbling late at night. <laughs> <laughs> da Dot, dot, King Jelly Jam. <laughs> I can't. the cuckoo clock of doom Tara the Terrible that's what Michael Webster calls his bratty little sister oh Michael she loves getting Michael in trouble making his life miserable things couldn't get any worse then Mr. Webster brings home the antique cuckoo clock it's old it's expensive and Mr. Webster won't let anyone touch it poor Michael he should have listened to his dad because someone put a spell on the clock a strange spell a dangerous spell. And now Michael's life will never be the same again.
0: Ah! <laughs> I just love them. So good. Um, the first one. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. We were so good at that. I mean, it was <laughs> definitely plausible though. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had heard the other two in passing. I yeah.
1: The other on yours, too. I was like, that's going to be the hard thing. because Also, we're looking them up. I was I know. like, we're probably going to remember them.
0: I know. Jelly were- jam.
1: <laughs> I tried to do jelly jam because I thought I might trick you with my jelly <laughs> jam, hands. My jam
0: hand story <laughs> from last week. I laughed about your jammy jammy hands for like a week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was so. I don't know if that was anybody else's. Like, anybody else took that moment and just held on to it. But I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Anyway, that was good fun. Sure was. We'll do more Two Truths and a Lie. Okay. Because we do have a grand time doing it.
1: I know. I want to bring back... Okay, for all of our listeners, the first time, definitely the first time we did it, Mm -hmm. I feel like we only had 10 people listen to our stories.
0: I thought that was a slightly more well-listened night. The first one? I think we had like 30 people. But still, I mean, as opposed to our whole listenership, that's really not that many.
1: So, because I really enjoyed... (laughs) Those stories? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're really fun. And I want to bring them out. So I guess let us know if you would be down for us doing those. And then we'll just not and tell you the answer until the next week.
0: Yeah. Or
1: that could, yeah, that could be like a thing you guys. It could be a contest. Yeah. We'll see. But um, yeah, let us know if, if you'd rather us do, if you're like, oh, that was so long ago. I don't even
0: remember. We could do it as like an extra too. Yeah. Because we already have them all written. Uh-huh. It's really, they're so fun. We had a really good time. Maybe we'll just record them and, and give yeah, them to you. Yeah, that could just be an extra thing. Give them so you as a little extra sure. treat one week. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, also, uh, if you're not in our Facebook group, you should join it because we give things away sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, this week I was like, tell me where you're from. And the furthest person from us gets a sticker. FYI, oh. I said that today. Cool. So we have to give somebody a sticker, just oh, so yeah. you know. <laughs> or a prize. <laughs> I think I did a prize. It's probably going to be a sticker. Hmm. Maybe it'll be something even better, though. I don't know. I don't know what we have in our inventory. We might be feeling Gibby. Yeah, we might be feeling Gibby. So let us know where you're from. And if you're from super far away from New Jersey, you could be the winner. I'm the one that does that. You can do it. Sometimes I do it. I know. I'm going to have to get over it. We have to both sing now. I sang last week. You did. I broke the seal. (laughs) Singing all the time. Okay. So my last story. Perhaps one of the most well-known stories in the Goosebumps canon is Night of the Living Dummy, featuring everyone's favorite evil ventriloquist dummy, Slappy. Let's read the blurb, shall we? Mm. Lindy names the ventriloquist dummy she finds Slappy. Already that sentence is garbage. We just jumped right into the middle of something. Anyway, Slappy is kind of ugly, but he's a lot of fun. Lindy's having a great time learning to make Slappy move and talk, but Chris is jealous of all the attention her sister is getting. It's no fair. Why does Lindy have all the luck? Chris decides to get a dummy of her own. She'll show Lindy. Then weird things begin to happen. Nasty things. Evil things. No way a dummy can be causing all the trouble. Or is there? I bet there is. Yeah, I there, bet there is. There is, you're right. It's a dummy. Needless to say, the girls find a mysterious card in Slappy's pocket with some gibberish written on it. And because they have never seen Cabin in the Woods, they read the Latin. Okay. And, Never, I know. Never read the Latin. Come on. And Slappy comes to life, doing all sorts of unspeakable things. Even though he's the character in a beloved children's book, there is something eerie about Slappy. We all know better, and yet I don't think a single one of us would want to encounter Slappy in the darkened hallways of our own home. No. I don't do Not dolls. even in Ooh. the lightened hallways I know, of I my home. I don't like ventriloquist dummies. Mm-hmm. Slappy is undoubtedly scary, but he has nothing on Mr. Fritz. Do you remember this one now?
1: I, I do. You hated it so much. Oh, this was with the video. Yep.
0: We'll get there. <laughs> Michael Diamond is a UK magician and owner of a rather large and esteemed private collection of oddities and sideshow memorabilia. I want to visit it very much. Among his possessions are real execution swords and axes, a wax model of the elephant-headed boy, quotations, that's like a sideshow attraction, Houdini's handcuffs, real shrunken heads, And at the center of it all lies Mr. Fritz, Mm. or at least what's left of him. In a locked plexiglass case mounted on a pedestal is the large and garish head of a ventriloquist dummy. The head is on a small pole, and there are ropes and wires dangling from its disembodied neck, which used to work the mechanisms in its eyes that open and close and move from side to side, and mouth, which clearly opens and closes to mimic speaking. Mr. Fritz is a lurid pink and red color with dark brown eyebrows and a bald, blistered looking head. His wig clearly a victim of time and circumstance. He is wrinkled and aged, and if you think you see him winking at you, that is no trick of your imagination. He really is. Yeah, I hate it. Yep. You see, Mr. Fritz has a mind of his own. And while he's never hurt anyone, his antics surely are unsettling to those who are unfamiliar with his story. For you see, Mr. Fritz does not remain still in his little glass home. Oh no, he has had more than a few homes before that of Mr. Diamond. Mr. Fritz was discovered by a well-known World War II militia collector while on a buying trip in an antiques mall in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Once the dealer heard that he could that he had a connection with a German prisoner of war camp, he felt compelled to buy Mr. Fritz and bring him to the UK. It was then that things started to happen. The dealer, who wishes to remain anonymous, put Mr. Fritz on display in his showroom. And that's when the strange things I mentioned before began. Every morning when the dealer would open up shop, he would find Mr. Fritz's plexiglass case was wide open despite having been sure it was closed tight when he left the night before. Night after night, the dealer would lock up, making sure that Mr. Fritz's door was closed and every morning he found it swinging open. The dealer was perplexed as to how this could be happening. He thought maybe a mouse had taken up residence in the old dummy head. Perhaps there was a draft or a change in the carefully monitored humidity. But no, none of those things were present. The dealer, in frustration, would go on to tape the door to the case shut. But the next morning, the tape would be carefully peeled from its place and the door would once again be open. That's when he noticed that other changes occurred in Mr. Fritz overnight. His mouth, which rested in a closed position, would sometimes be open or his closed eyes would hang open in distress, first pointing one way and then another. It was then that the dealer knew that Mr. Fritz had to go. Yeah. You think? Ugh. Uh Uh-huh. So he took him out of the display room and relocated him to a shed in his own backyard. I wouldn't have kept him on my property, but to each their own. This is so gross. Mm -hmm. For six months, his children would report the sounds of high-pitched giggling, Ew, Holly! And small, <laughs> hollow footsteps in that shed, oh. which is when the dealer passed the mischievous Mr. Fritz along to Michael Diamond, who in turn did a little research on his new friend. The journey into dis- discovering the history of Mr. Fritz takes us back to World War II Germany, where nothing good ever happened. Nope. The following is taken directly from an interview Dan Baines conducted with Mike Diamond. These, quote, Mr. Diamond was also given a small handwritten note that accompanied Mr. Fritz, and it explained that he was originally a ventriloquist doll who was used to entertain Allied prisoners of war during World War II in Stalag IIb between 1943 and 1945. Stalag B was a German prisoner of war camp situated 2.4 kilometers west of the village of Hammerstein in Poland. In 1933, it was established as one of the first Nazi concentration camps and was used to house German communists. In late September 1939, the camp was changed to a prisoner of war camp to house Polish soldiers, and in August of 1943, the first American prisoners arrived, having been taken prisoner in the Tunisian campaign. Over 600 United States prisoners of war were held in Stalag 2B, and life was harsh consisting of long days of hard labor on neighboring farms and meager rations. Prisoners tried to overcome these hardships by educating themselves and staging entertainments such as musicals and comedy. Among the prisoners with enough energy to entertain was Private Billy Booth, who had been a children's entertainer and puppeteer before the war started. He had made Mr. Fritz with German newspapers soaked in potato starch and painted him with a smuggled pot of pink gloss, that a Polish farmer had given him which had been used to paint his daughter's cot. For almost 18 months, Billy Booth and Mr. Fritz entertained the prisoners of Stalag 2B with in-jokes and songs. He was so good that even some of the German guards found him funny. But unfortunately, on the 14th of January 1945, two weeks before the camp was liberated, Billy and nine other United States prisoners of war were taken into a field, made to dig a large pit, and shot for not working hard enough. Yeah. When the camp was finally liberated on the twenty eighth of january nineteen forty five, Mr. Fritz was taken back to the United States by a fellow prisoner and given to Billy Booth's family as a reminder of their son's fortitude and his ability to raise morale in the harshest of conditions. They
1: were probably horrified by it. I know. <laughs> they were like, great, thank you. It's <laughs> kind of scary looking,
0: lest we forget. How Mr. Fritz ended up in a United States antique mall is not known did Billy Booth's family give him away or was he thrown out for being too lively? (laughs) These things we will never really know. All we do know is that what remains of Billy Booth's creation is safely tucked away in Michael Diamond's freak room where he shall remain for the unforeseeable future. And if Billy wants to open Mr. Fritz's cabinet every now and again to reminisce days gone by, well, then Michael doesn't have a problem with that. And open the cabinet doors he does. (laughs) Intrigued rather than frightened by the mysterious ways of Mister Fritz, because remember, if the ghost is Billy Booth, he was a nice man that tried to entertain people in a concentration camp. So I know, but like, yeah, I just know it's like, very stay spir- dead. Oh no! <laughs> Mister Diamond set up a camera trained on Mister Fritz overnight, and what he discovered was nothing short of hair-raising. Not only does the door to Mister Fritz's case pop open and appears to swing around in a non-existent breeze. But his eyes open and shut, and his mouth chatters, perhaps trying to work in a few more jokes and elicit a couple more smiles. Oh. Now, when we did this live, we played this video for Leslie and watched her react. Uh. It, it is hilarious. <laughs> we can probably still share that We clip. No, we definitely will. I will share the video on all of our social media platforms mm-hmm. when the episode drops. It is a treat. <laughs> Oh, it is so
1: horrible. Um, I read a comment about, like, on that, uh, was it Dan Baines? Yeah. Like, piece. Um, there's people commented on the end of it. And one yeah. person was like, um, he's definitely mouthing help me. And oh, I was no. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, the video is so spooky. It's really scary. I mean, there's a lot of debate whether it's faked or not. And you know what? I don't want to research it anymore because it's such a good story.
1: It's so creepy.
0: It's super creepy. Thankfully, Mr. Fritz has finally found a home with someone who understands him. And while his story is nothing short of tragic, I'm not sure I would want him rolling his eyes around in my house in the middle of the night. I wouldn't want Slappy for that matter. Mm -hmm. Keep the dummies where they belong. Uh, Who
1: understands him? The guy who has him! She's like, I appreciate He likes his videos and he's like, oh, look at him go. All right, Mr. Fritz. So there's, like, multiple videos. Oh, there's a lot of them. This guy is just, like, yeah. daily updates. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I don't feel good about Mr. Fritz. I don't feel
1: good. Mr.
0: Fritz also, like, you have to understand the way he operates. And, and I'll have pictures and videos of him, don't worry. It's, like, through wires that are dangling
1: out of the bottom of his neck. Yeah, so he, yeah.
0: The whole thing is, I have to admit, it's a very upsetting-looking piece. He's it's very super upsetting. scary. Anyway, toast. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy! I'm gonna toast Darlene and mine.
0: Definitely Darlene. What I can't remember my first one. Chloe. Yes, Chloe for sure. Toasted Chloe. Yeah. And um, the Billy Booth, the creator of Mister Fritz, he did entertain people at a terrible time. He did. No, that's fine. That's fine.
1: And I mean, like, honestly, Mr. Fritz, we can just... And
0: Mr. Fritz, he did a good job. I mean, he's just still trying to be a nice, fun guy. And if we heard a creepy noise in the middle of the night that gave us goosebumps and crept out of our bed to see what it was, we would be dead.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead Podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group
0: to discuss the podcast
1: and more.
0: I have yet to find an event in my adult life that I look forward to as much as I looked forward to the Scholastic Book Fair every year. That's true.